0: I'm Kelly McEvers, and this is Embedded, an NPR podcast where we take a story from the news and go deep. And this week, we're going to do something a little different. If you've been listening to this podcast from the beginning, you know that in our first episode, we spent a bunch of time in a town called Austin, Indiana, with people who are addicted to this drug called Opana. The town is the center of one of the biggest HIV outbreaks in the U.S. in years. Many people got HIV after sharing needles. And since that episode, a lot of you've told us you want to know more. You want to know what's happened to the people we met in Austin. Devin, Samantha, Jeff, and Joy. So for this episode, we're going back to Indiana to find them. The person we really want to find is Joy. We're still using her first name because she's done drugs illegally. Joy is the nurse who had hurt her back at work and then got addicted to pain pills. When her prescription ran out, she started buying opanna on the street. Joy told us she never thought she would use a needle. And then there she was in that first episode showing us how to cook opana. Okay, Here's our
1: infamous can, which has uh, okay. been used to death. And this little piece right here. Yeah, is that really a quarter? No, that's an eighth. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. That's just a little... Mm-hmm. Little eighth little piece of nothing. Yep. <laughs> a little piece of nothing. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jeffrey? Toast the top a little bit there now? Yeah.
0: Back then, Joy told us she wanted to quit. She fished in her purse to show us where she'd written down an appointment to get treatment for drug addiction.
1: Because this is not, this is not for me. <laughs> this is not what I'm, you know, I, I don't want to hurt, but I don't want to be dependent. I don't want something like that to have control of of my life, my body, my, you know, I don't want something to have control over me. Yeah, it's it's the 13th.
0: The appointment, she said, was the 13th of the next month. Joy's story really stuck with us, and with a lot of you. Like so many people struggling with opioid addiction in this country, Joy doesn't fit that picture we have in our heads when we hear drug addict. She had a good job, three kids, she was a Girl Scout leader. How do you go from that to living in a house with a bunch of other drug addicts? How can life fall apart so dramatically? And did she ever keep that appointment? That's what we want to find out. The other reason we want to find joy again is honestly, we can find joy again. My producer, Tom Dreisbach, and I do talk to Devin and Samantha. They were that young couple who had both tested positive for HIV. They both say they have quit using opana. Samantha's now living in a halfway house. We try really hard to find Jeff. He's the Iraq war vet who got addicted to pain pills after he hurt his back, but we can't find him. With Joy, we find an address. Turns out, it's her parents' house. It's not in Austin, it's out in the country. And we drive there one morning. It's a little one-story house with a screened-in porch. A barn out back, lots of cut wood. There's this dog wearing one of those cones on its head. This one's hot pink, barking at us like crazy. Nobody answers the door. We go back again in the afternoon. I knock on the door again, and out walks Joy. I can't believe you remember me, she says. I have been thinking about you for a really long time, I say. She says she doesn't want to talk in front of her parents. So a few days later, we pick her up, we drive about a mile from the house, and park outside a country store. And that's what we're going to do. Sit in the car and hear Joy's story. We'd like to say a quick thank you and share a message from one of our sponsors, Stamps.com. Mailing and shipping can seem like a no-win situation. Trips to the post office are time-consuming, and leasing a postage meter is expensive. There's a better way. Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer. Sign up for Stamps.com for a special offer. A four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and enter Embedded. All right, so we're in a rental car. We're parked next to this little store. It's crazy windy outside. And Joy starts by telling us what her life was like before she started using the needle.
1: I had a home. I had a car. a house full of furniture, a lot of nice stuff, you know, a big sectional sofa and glass coffee table and a real heavy cherry dinette set and washer and dryer and dishwasher, flat screen TVs, had three flat screen TVs. PlayStation 3, Wii's, tablets, you name it, had had it all.
0: And then a lot of things happened. She ended up selling most of that stuff to buy this drug she was addicted to, Opana. She lost the house. By the time we met her, she was injecting Opana a few times a day and staying in another house with some addicts in Austin. She never did go to that appointment she told
1: us about, and she had to leave the house she was staying in. You know, after you guys left, I had nowhere to stay. And there was a few times that I slept in a slide at the park at the elementary school. You know, the big jungle gym plastic slides and stuff. I slept in the slide at the school. A few houses in Austin that were empty houses, boarded up windows kicked one of the doors, the boards out of the doors, and stayed in the house for two nights. And I mean, anything could happen to me there. I didn't care, I was just so high, I just needed somewhere to get in out of the rain, go stay in an empty house. Mm-hmm. I had nowhere to go. But this time last year, I had a home. I had my kids, rings on every finger, you know, money in the bank. And in 12, less than 12 months, gone. Joy has
0: three kids. Her two daughters are grown. Her son, who was 14 at the time, had lived with her. But by the time she was on the street, he was back living with his dad. So for joy, every day was about figuring out how to get money, how to buy a pill, and get high. She says it was all about that feeling when you first shoot up.
1: There's just something about injecting them, and you get that warm rush instantly. As soon as you inject that within, say, two seconds amount of time it takes to take a full breath and let it out from head to toe it's just bliss
0: like how long did that euphoria last a few seconds a couple minutes maybe <laughs> yeah if you think about how many minutes there are in a day yeah. and of all those maybe got that happened like what four or five times a day and then the rest of the time you're chasing, chasing that, that minute
1: mm-hmm. that's exactly right and it got to where i had to chase that crave that want that rush About every two hours.
0: Joy got a monthly check from her divorce. And when that money ran out, she would
1: steal to get pills. And that was her life for months. I managed to stay out of trouble and stay alive until the first week of July. Then one day, things changed. And we were out on a country road at a place out there, and the cops just swarmed the place. Seven, eight, nine cop cars just came in there like crazy. When they went in the house, the officers smelled marijuana in the house. And a couple of the guys, we're not going to lie to you. We smoked a joint. You know, they didn't find anything, but that was enough to charge them with maintaining a common nuisance. And I was charged with visiting a common nuisance. That charge is something you can get for being at a house where people are using drugs. That was the first time i have been, you know, arrested in 41 years. Never been in any kind of trouble in my life. You would think that that would have been enough for me. No. She went to jail, then got out
0: after a couple days. She was wearing a GPS monitor on her ankle, the condition of her release, that and a curfew. But she was withdrawing from Opana,
1: big time. All she could think about was getting back to Austin and getting a pill. Supposed to have been home at 9 o'clock, and at 10 till 11, I still wasn't home, and they issued an escape warrant on me. I got home about 11.30, and my dad's like, you got a warrant on you. I didn't want the cops out there around my kid to see me get arrested. I didn't want my parents to see me get arrested. So I went back to Austin, cut the bracelet off. I mean, I already had the escape warrant, so I didn't want to leave the GPS on there for them to hunt me down and find me wearing it. So I cut it off, wrapped it up in a baggie, and hid it in a bush in town. So once they tried to hone in on that, you know, they wouldn't find me. Well, the very next morning... My buddies that had been through thick and thin, getting pills with them, staying high, told them where I was at. Told on me. They came straight to where I was, came straight in the room where I was, opened the closet door. Nice hiding place, by the way. Come on. Police arrested her again. Joy went back to jail. But
0: this time the charge was more serious because she'd violated the conditions of her release. A few days in, she starts really withdrawing from Opana, which everybody we've talked to says feels like the worst flu you could possibly imagine. And then there was the fact that her picture was online. When you get arrested, they post your mugshot on the county jail website.
1: My kids have seen the most horrible mugshot in the world on the internet. Their mommy, all their friends have seen me looking my worst from the drug abuse and all the weight I'd lost. I'd lost after you guys left from April to July. I lost probably 35 pounds more. I mean, I would go four or five days without even a drink of water. All I could think about was using pills. I didn't care about hydration, nutrition, you know, none of that. So I lost quite a bit of weight, and the mugshot was definitely horror. I used to be basketball coach, cheer coach, Girl Scout leader, and all my children's friends, you know, knew me. And then for that to be plastered out there for the world to see, I was so humiliated on top of withdrawing and the depression from, oh, my God, look what you've done to your life. You know, look what you've lost. You have nothing to live for. So I cut my wrist in jail. I used my um, my bra, the underwires in my bra, and managed to, to break it to where it was sharp enough to use. And you can still see the scar. But um, I cut myself in jail, and uh, I spent six days in a padded cell at jail on suicide watch, and uh, it was pretty much just superficial damage. You know, it wasn't enough to actually cut the vein, but it was deep enough, you know, to need medical attention. Did you, were you really, really trying to kill yourself? I mean, were you at the time, I thought I thought I was. I really did, you know. But I think it was more attention you know, get me out of the cell, take me to the hospital. You know, my life was, I was bottomed out. You know, I thought what I had to live for, you know. Eventually,
0: Joy started talking to the nurse who worked in the jail.
1: That first day, she said, the main thing that I want you to do is think about owning what you've done, forgiving yourself for what you've done, and getting over it. Because life is going on outside of this jail around you. Your life is right here. You're in a standstill. You're in this jail. All you can think about is getting out of this jail. Your freedom's gone. But life is going on around you. Your kids are getting up every day and going to school. Your parents are going to work. Life is moving on without you. And if you don't own what you've done up to this point and forgive yourself for that, you're never going to make it through recovery. You can't dwell on it constantly. Slowly, Joy started feeling better. She started thinking she wanted to stay off drugs for good. Started going to church and jail and reading the Bible and and, um, thought, you know, this is not who I am. And the more my head got clear, you know, the more I just decided that I'm not going back to this when I get out of jail. I'm not. I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to stay out of Austin. I'm going to stay clean. I'm I'm not going to do this anymore. And I spent 43 days in jail. The day I came home, I went and got a pill. After all that, I went and got a pill.
0: By that point, she had moved into her parents'
1: house. As part of her probation, she wasn't allowed to go back to Austin. found someone out in the country who had pills, so I didn't have to go to Austin and then see it on my GPS. Go straight there, get what I needed, and come back to my mom and dad's. And I did that for about two weeks. And I was starting to get a little crazy. You know, I started out with just a quarter of a pill and it did me all day long because I'd been sober for 40 days. You know, it didn't take much to loot me after that.
0: This happens to people who are addicted to opioids like Opana. Health workers and researchers say it's hard to stay off the drugs without some kind of treatment, ideally
1: medication and counseling. And we were getting closer and closer to Christmas. And I thought, you know, I'm taking every dime I have and buying pills with it again. I could be buying Christmas presents. And something in her mind just said, stop. I just said, no, this is not going to work. I'm going to go to the clinic. So I'm going to try it with a little bit of help, a little counseling, see what happens.
0: The clinic she's talking about is a methadone clinic, the next county over, about a half an hour away from her parents' house. And this is the thing in and around Austin, Indiana. Austin is a town of about 4,300 people, with what public health officials say are at least 500 known IV drug users, and still there is not one full-time drug treatment facility in the town. The nearest inpatient treatment is in another county, 30 miles away, with at least a month-long waiting list. Like a lot of people here, Joy doesn't have a car. She figured the only way to stop using Opana was to find a way to get to that methadone clinic. And then she got lucky. She ran into a neighbor one day.
1: He's an older gentleman. He's almost 70 years old. His wife passed away at the beginning of this past year, last January. Actually, he's by himself. And I used to go out and clean their house. When his wife was alive, I'd go out and clean their house, uh, mow their yard, helped his wife can and stuff, you know, when she was alive. And then... um, She ran into him one day at the store. He asked, how you're doing? And he said, I heard you weren't doing too well. How you been? And I got to talking to him about it, and that's that. Yeah, you know, he was like, help. I'll be more than glad to take you down there to clinic, and we'll get you off those pills.
0: Every day, this older gentleman came to pick her up and take her to the clinic. And on the weekends, he came at 5 in the morning. It's $15 a day for the methadone, and the clinic only takes cash. So sometimes her friend even loaned her the money, too. Joy says after a few days, she started feeling different.
1: And then once the methadone got in my system, I thought, hey, I started functioning like a normal person again, you know? I didn't think constantly about when I woke up, okay, what am I going to do today to get that quarter of a pill? You know, who am I going to get to take me out there to get that quarter of a pill? Or, you know, what can I go steal at the store to trade for a quarter of a pill? You know, I didn't think that way anymore. Got up and like, I'm all right today. I don't feel too bad. I'll go to the clinic, get my medicine, come back home and help mom around the house. Or, you know, gradually my way of thinking started to change.
0: This is how methadone works. It changes how your brain and nervous system respond to things. It blocks the pain you get from withdrawal while giving you enough of an opiate to keep you from having huge cravings. She started on 40 milligrams of liquid methadone a day. Clinic staff, watch while you take your dose. Joy got drug tested, and the clinic and the terms of her probation required her to go to counseling. One of the first things she learned was she had to be honest with her family. Back when she was using Opana, she had stolen her dad's chainsaw and sold it to buy pills.
1: And then swearing up and down, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. I didn't take that. I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't me. And then I decided, you know, hey, Dad, I need to talk to you. I need to own it. You know, I need to tell you that I took it, why I took it, what I did with it, and apologize for it. Here's what her dad said. Well, I I knew it was you all along, and I forgive you, and you're doing so much better now, you know, when he could have been a total jerk, and that would have absolutely destroyed me if he had been. But he wasn't.
0: this is what addicts do, right? At some point, you have to start telling yourself a story. I hit rock bottom, I made it out, I asked for forgiveness, and I got it. And then you have to deal with the fact that cravings sometimes still happen. And the story you tell yourself when they do. For Joy, she craves Opana just when she hears the word Austin.
1: First month or two of of my taking the methadone, and uh, they were on Over the Back Fence, local radio station that lets you buy, sell, and trade on the air. And the lady said, we're having a yard sale, Named off everything that she was having, gave her phone number, and then her address was such-and-such street in Austin, Indiana. And my mouth started watering. I got, you know, just a feeling that came over me, like, let's go find a pill. Just hearing them say, in Austin, Indiana, like, you know, just my mind automatically went to getting high. And I physically felt that craving physically not just mentally but physically my mouth was watering my hands started shaking a little bit my palms got a little sweaty it was like somebody was saying I'm on the phone here come to Austin and get a pill
0: so does that mean you never go to
1: Austin I don't go to Austin I don't Um, my mom's church is in Austin and that's the only time that I've been in Austin since I got out of jail I don't I won't go in Austin if I need to go to the cigarette store I go to Scottsburg I will not go to Austin. But still, sometimes the urge to
0: get a pill is just too strong. Two months into her methadone treatment, Joy picked up the phone and called a pill dealer.
1: Had a bad day, a really bad day. I don't remember what it was. I think I'd gotten a fight with my boyfriend, and I was just having a bad day. And I called somebody out wanting a pill. And I'd been on the methadone, and I knew I wouldn't feel the pill. Because the methadone blocks it. You can't feel the opiate that high. Mm. And he was, you know, the guy I called was like, what are you talking about? You've been in treatment for two months. You're not going to feel this pill. You're going to get drug tested down there. You're going to fail it. For what? You're not going to get a buzz. You're going to blow your probation when they drug test you and you fail it. They're going to put you right back in jail.
0: Her dealer talked her down. She did not go get a pill. And he was right. Methadone does block that rush Joy was talking about from doing a pana. Joy got lucky again.
1: That's never happened before to me, ever. They're like, yeah, come on, we'll work something out. You don't have any money? Come on, I'll front it to you. Never have I been turned down to get a pill. But that day, there was something that made him say that to me. Uh And I didn't go and blow it, you know. And sure enough, two days later, I was drug tested at probation. And I would have failed it for that Opana. Sure would have. I would have absolutely been back in jail if I had went out there that day and done that.
0: Now, Joy is still on methadone. She's still going to counseling three times a week. She sees her son every day after school. Sometimes he stays with her on the weekends. She's talking to her daughters again. She now takes 60 milligrams of methadone a day, Federal guidelines recommend high doses early on to keep people in treatment. Joy goes to the clinic Monday through Friday. Doctors now let her take weekend doses home in a bag that only she can unlock. Once I feel
1: that I'm strong enough, they detox you. And they bring you down three milligrams at a time. As fast as or as slow as you need to go down. Those same federal guidelines say the minimum amount of time to be
0: on methadone is a year. Some people stay on it a lot longer than that. The idea is to be monitored by a doctor the entire time until the risk of abusing drugs again is low. Methadone treatment has been well-researched over the years, and the consensus is it's effective at keeping people in treatment and from using other drugs. Joy says being on methadone has
1: totally changed the way she thinks. And life is so much different in so many different ways now because that that buzz and that needle and that pill is not dominating my every single thought. And it's great to have other thoughts again, like a, you know, a normal human being. Joy's nursing
0: license expired a few years back. She's taken 24 hours of classes and paid a fee to get it reinstated. And now she's applying for jobs. That's another thing you can do on methadone, work. Joy says she's worried about being around pain medication back at work. She says at first she might try to do office work, like billing or case management, to try to stay away from the temptation. She's saving money to get a car and maybe even her own place again.
1: I have a bank account now. Yes, I have over $400. I've managed to scrimp and scrape since December when I started taking methadone. I have money in my pocket, money in the bank. Before, you know, I never had a dime. Every red cent I got, I was going and putting towards the pill. At this point, we've been sitting in the car for a couple of hours,
0: and my producer, Tom, wants to ask Joy something. What are you looking forward to now?
1: A home again, and my kids living with me. I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most, being able to take care of myself and know that I can pay my bills and not spend that money on drugs. I'm looking forward to getting back to nursing. You know, I, I went to school and got that degree to help people just like me. And uh, I hope that maybe my story will help somebody else, you know. So I'm looking forward to that a lot, too, just to sharing what I've been through and, and let people know that you can come from rock bottom and crawl crawl your way out of there. You know, you can do it and uh, I'm looking forward to going back to work and, and maybe sharing that with somebody else. And being able to have my little boy there and put him to bed at night and get him up for school the next day and being mommy again. That's the most important right now to me. Staying clean and doing that. that is all I can focus on right now. is an attainable goal. Yes, it is. So much, so, within my grasp, so much more now than it was six months ago. I never thought that my kids would forgive me, my parents would forgive me. I never thought that, I mean, I thought my only way was to just commit suicide and let my kids be raised by, you know, their dad or my parents or whatever. I felt that they didn't need me And all my baggage and bullshit anymore. I've done enough. And now I see that they do need me. And they do still love me. And I'm still their mommy. And it's time that I did right by them again. I thank God that I have the chance to do that.
0: Hearing Joy's story, Tom and I realize, once again, how much it takes to end an opioid addiction. It takes a new drug to stop thinking about the old drug. It takes support and luck. And for Joy, it was three lucky breaks. That nurse in jail, that man who gives her the ride to the clinic, and the drug dealer who won't sell to her. And it takes a pretty powerful story that you have to tell yourself over and over, maybe for the rest of your life. The story was reported by me, Kelly McEvers, and produced by Tom Dreisbach and Chris Benderev. It was edited by Brent Bachman and Steve Drummond, with help from Vicki Valentine, Andrea Shue, Rob Byers, and Kasia Podbielski. Digital production is by Alexander McCall. Research help from Katie Doggart. Original music in this podcast is by Colin Wamscans The show is executive produced by me, Chris Turpin, and Anya Grundman. Our project manager is Kasia Podbielski. You can hear more NPR on your local public radio station on another show I host called All Things. Things All right, so I know we do a lot of heavy stuff on this podcast, but in our next episode, we're doing basketball. We'll be with the guys who are just one step and a lot of dollars away from the big time. It's now never in the NBA.
1: I've told my agent, like, this is it. I'm riding this one home out because I I want a call-up. I've never had a call-up. I don't know what a call-up feels like. I think I just sat back and just screamed
0: and it was just happy i just scream in happiness if you haven't done it yet subscribe to this podcast and leave that review in itunes seriously we really like hearing from you also subscribe to npr's all songs considered podcast where each week the hosts find the best of the best songs for you to fall in love with i'm kelly McEvers. thanks for listening